So today I've got a special guest, my my very good friend and uh, ostensible CIA handler, uh, Dr. Jessica Rose, and and we're gonna we, we've got a fun well we, we've got a very interesting topic today and one that probably uh, more science should have been done on to this point, but because there are too few people trying to actually answer you know the the, the real questions that we have uh, hasn't been answered yet, and then we may have a discussion at the end that might be like a a, a real good like organic. Uh, educational discussion. We'll see how much time we have, uh, but we may do a little bit of uh, mathematical modeling on our own about um, uh, the, the hot lots question, um, which uh, Jessica and I um, uh, both have sort of a skeptical view of at the moment. But you know, obviously, it's responsible to to take a look and see what's going on. But uh, here she is, Dr. Jessica Rose. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Like when they introduce a guest on the Muppet Show. <laughs> yeah. I was actually thinking I should like uh, see if I can um, like you know get rights to the Fraggle Rock introduction, and and just be able to like play it. You know, do you know that show? Of course, and I'm trying to remember the theme song because it was embedded in my brain. Oh gosh, point. and I don't know the lyrics, but it's like dun 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 Let the Fraggles play. Down a frag oh, rock. Oh, right, right, right. Down a frag rock. <laughs> yeah, frag yeah, rock. yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think you were my generation. <laughs> I was a, a huge Muppet Show fan. We, like, the family used to sit down and watch the Muppet Show. Uh, man, it was amazing how all of us found it funny, probably for different reasons, but yeah. <laughs> Well, um, you, you emailed me uh, a couple of weeks ago and you said, um, you said, okay, I, you know, I, I want to talk about this topic in particular, this M M uh, RNA degradation. And uh, this is one where uh, I have not done the work. I'll just go ahead and tell you on this. I've not done the work to be, you know, really up uh, on this topic. So, um, you know, Jessica's going to, you know, she'll, she'll be kind of alone here uh, talking about this, but you know, I, uh, this is something that is quantitative. So, you know, we can have a chat, see what's going on here. But she wrote an article, you wrote an article back in February <clears throat> to, you know, go ahead and um, present the topic and summarize it for us. And, and, you know, tell us where you want to go with this. Um, okay. So in a nutshell, um, if there is a nutshell, <laughs> it's a big nut if this is in a nutshell, um, these COVID-19 injections manufactured by Pfizer and Moderna uh, contain modified messenger RNA. And uh, mRNA can degrade whether or not it's been modified to be more stable. And in the context of a product that's meant to induce an immune response to provide protection against a virus, um, if the goal, if the modus operandi is to translate uh, this mRNA into proteins that using a full length mRNA template, and that's not in fact what's happening, 
then you need to find out the 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 reality of what is happening in terms of what we call truncated uh, mRNAs or or proteins. So that was that was the nutshell description. So I have to fill in a lot of blanks right now. So okay. so maybe I can uh, yeah. maybe I, uh, I can bounce this off you, and you can tell me if I'm thinking about it the right way. <clears throat> um, so let's say you're playing the game Centipede. And you've, you've got the, you know, the centipede and it's, you know, it's got all these segments. Um, we, we're putting the mRNA <laughs> into, into the, these uh, injectable products. Um, how long are they? What, what are they? Uh, three or 4,000 nucleotide sequences? Jeez, uh, I have to double check. I should know that off the top. I know of my I should head. know that too. Right. But I, I'm, I'm going to go with 3,000. Let's say that you've got 3,000 nucleotide sequences and you're injecting them in, this 3,000 nucleotide sequence um, is going to encode for a whole bunch of amino acids, and those amino acids collectively make up protein, and it's folded in a certain way. And, uh, and, and that's the thing that's supposed to, to be in your body, that's supposed to be in your body. Um, however, what happens if this, you know, 3,000 nucleotide sequence, um, you know, it's in your body, and, and boom, it hits a rock. And it breaks in half. And, you know, suddenly you've got these two pieces that were supposed to be the whole code. Well, what happens if one of those begins to, to be transcribed, but the other one's not there? And so, you know, you get, you know, some amino acid thing that makes another protein or, or, um, or peptide or, or, or something, right? Suddenly your body isn't just producing the one thing uh, that this product you know, was designed to make you produce, but it's producing these other things or it's getting frustrated because, you know, you're feeding it bad code or something. Um, am I, am I explaining this well? Yeah. I mean, that's the gist of it. Um, I, I'm not sure if everyone in the audience, uh, like has, um, like knows what RNA is or, or anything that we're saying. So, if if you if you think it's a good idea, I did prepare some some slides. I don't think I can share them, but I can talk around them just to give everyone like a, a better idea of why it's it's bad that we don't know um, whether we're, we have full length spike template or, or the effects of that. So like basically, what you said is right. Like you're supposed to have full length spike protein, which is the product of this, you know. RNA, um, mRNA with a hundred percent integrity, let's say, but what we, we know <laughs> is that we're not dealing with, uh, even close to a hundred percent RNA integrity with these products, the Pfizer products specifically, and it's much closer to 55%. Um, so yeah, I, I, we can get into the, the details, but, uh, yeah. Do, do you think I should like, uh, go through like, you know, biochem 101 or what do you oh, think? Yeah, that, that's up to you. I mean, um, you, you know, sure. Teach us something. I can try. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a biochem teacher, but I can try. So like, just to go back to the, the synopsis of um, why RNA integrity is especially in the context of these COVID products is really important to maintain. 
uh, and the relation, the potential relationship between, say, severe adverse events uh, coming about, um, you have to you have to understand that the the original intention here. And what we were told repeatedly by, you know, everyone, the policymakers, the pharmaceutical companies, the regulatory bodies, um, was that we were going to have uh, a, a product that would be of a certain, it, it would have the integrity required in order to have a safe product on the market. So, right, right. Um, they kind of created a view of like, you know, uh, super futuristic shiny spaceship technology. Something right? like, like, that. like, like you know, this is something where we we know what we're doing. We've been working on this for twenty years. We know what we're doing, right? But it, you know, essentially, there's almost no way to know what you're doing without an enormous amount of additional experimentation. You know, there's no way to know what's going to happen, and and we're not even sure that this technology can ever really work. Um, exactly. It, in a way that's not problematic, right? So, you know, here we are, We here, here's a problem, is the mRNA, it breaks into pieces. Uh, it does not have uh, high integrity, high fidelity. And I can see this, um, this you know, uh, this piece that you pulled out of a, a paper here, it says, uh, allows for up to 50% fragmented species. So explain that, that's quality control? Yeah, well, okay, so I'll get into that in a second. Um, okay. The... the uh, it, it's hard for me to uh, like think about what where I should start with this. First of all, RNA integrity is the degree to which the RNA is intact. We already covered that. Um, and RNA, RNA integrity can be uh, compromised if there are changes to like storage conditions, temperature, pH, stuff like that. Um, and it's really important for everybody to know that there's a lot of techniques for determining RNA integrity. Um, like using RNA quality assessment, quantification or quant quantitation methods, blah, blah, blah. There's even more advanced stuff like uh, algorithmic determinators like RNA integrity number that you can use. So my point is that it's really easy to quality control tests for RNA integrity um, in real life. And one of the things that we do in order to um, to determine the 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 uh, the protein product of uh, RNA is to do a Western blot, which is a biochemical lab technique. Uh, we used to characterize proteins by size. So I, I, I wish I could show you my slides in front, but anyway, maybe we can, um, we can uh, just talk around it for now. Anyway, yeah, so- are, are you unable to share your screen or do you want to email them to me or- uh, uh, I don't think I can share. I've tried that before here, and I don't think I was able to succeed. Um, but if you have the ability, maybe you could just pull up a picture of a Western blot. Uh, it, it, it might not have a lot of meaning for some people, but but it's a, it's quite instructive to see like what people are talking. That's the one. There you go. It's the Wikipedia one. This one right now. Uh, the red. The what? Just go go back one and and click uh, yeah go to all oh, yeah, there. there oh. Yeah, but not don't click the photo. Click the Western blot, and then the photo will come up, and then you can make it bigger. Um, okay. So yeah, th this shows size of uh, protein products, and so if you have a nice solid band there, then you have a a beautiful protein product. 
uh, of a certain size. So if you have a if you have a um, a control and you know its uh, its size, and then you have a sample that you want to test the the product of some uh, RNA, you can run this or you can do this technique. And if you have a band that uh, comes up next to your control that looks the same, then you can be pretty sure that your protein product is the same as your control. So in the case of spike protein, we're gonna look at uh, a, a product of a certain size that's going to be represented by a single band. But um, the thing is that when uh, this was looked at, when the investigations were done, we didn't see using Western blots, uh, a single band as the protein products of the uh, RNA that was sampled. We saw these smears. Yeah, you um, blurs and, and it's kind of like you've got a, uh, a distribution of different things. Well, you could be looking at strands that don't even begin in the same place, right? Yeah, well, these are basically just smaller protein products and we don't know what they are. We just know that they're smaller uh, they could be, uh, the, well, they're just peptides. And the, the thing about it, it, it just gets close to random. Am I right about that? Uh, it, yeah, well, you could say that. And the, the big problem is that we have no idea what the uh, immunological consequences are going to be. So, um, you know, it, it's really important. It, here, here's a quote for everyone. It's important to recognize that the complete intact mRNA molecule is essential to its potency as a vaccine. Even a minor degradation reaction anywhere along an mRNA strand can severely slow or stop the translation performance of that strand and thus result in incomplete expression of the target antigen. Anyway, this, this was uh, from a paper, but it makes a really important point. Um, this is in the context of so-called vaccine developments and vaccine uh, efficacy. And if you don't have an integral product, you're not gonna have, uh, or an integral RNA, you're not gonna have an integral product. So the important piece of this puzzle that people should know about is a leaked, um, leaked documents uh, that is apparently somebody hacked um, uh, the uh, I think it was the EMA database. Is, and, is that in well, your article? Should I scroll down? I don't think it is in the article. I I, I think the screenshots are from that, but I I, I, I didn't go deeply into this. Um, but uh, they basically the, these leaked documents uh, showed that the early commercial batches of Pfizer's product, this is in the context of Pfizer, uh, had lower than expected levels of the intact mRNA um, than the test ones. So I wish I could Right, right, right. I've, I've heard that um, like early on, you maybe had uh, like 70 something percent uh, intact mRNA. Like maybe that that's what the, the um, trials were conducted with. And then by the time you get into rollout, that's going down to, to maybe in the 50% area. And then maybe it started coming back up again. Like maybe they, they were like, okay, uh, maybe we need to improve, you know, quality control so that people aren't mad at us because we have no idea what's going to happen. 
Exactly. And, and the, you know, the, these, um, they were assessed by, the products were assessed by the EMA. And, and I'll read you a quote from the, the document where, here, I'm going to put a link in the chat where you can read it. It's the assessment report of the Comirnaty product. Um, just a minute, I'm handling different tabs. Um, and it says, data demonstrate the presence of significant amounts of truncated modified forms of mRNA at somewhat higher levels in the batches manufactured with the commercial process as compared to material used in clinical trials. These forms are poorly characterized and the limited data provided for protein expression do not fully address the uncertainties relating to the risk of translating proteins, peptides, other than the intended spike protein. Uh, Jessica, so, what should I move to? <clears throat> um, oh, 35. I know that off the top of my head now. <laughs> Page 35, folks. And um, they, they call these truncated or modified RNA um, a guys as impurities. So th th those are the words that they use to describe this. So this is not speculation and, and it's not, um, th this is a fact. Like basically what I just read is- Wait, Can I stop you there for a second? Because like, mm -hmm. I, I'm almost alarmed at like, you know, the lack of uh, distinction in, in the lingo, in, in the terminology. It's like, this is an impurity. This isn't like, oh, you know, we have uh, uh, a little bit of yes. um, a little bit of vinegar in the paint, you know, that we're trying to paint the house with, you know, somebody, somebody, uh, you know, mixed one, jar, uh, spilled a little bit of one jar into the other. Um, these are reactive things, presumably, with the body. If the mRNA is itself reactive, then, you know, what, what these are, are other reactive things. So it, it's something that you know will change the result of the experiment and and change it exactly. in ways that are statistically random. You know, they have a distribution, you know, it's not um but we just we don't know. I mean, that's that's a lot of computational power just to come up with the different, you know, uh amino sequences and peptides. Uh it's combinatorially explosive. In other words, um they they don't even have any way to have known uh, probably what the spread of things are that your body might start producing from these. Am I right saying that? Yeah. Wow. And, and wow. the thing is they, they not only found like the, the little bits of uh, MR or sorry, the products of the truncated RNA, uh, these peptides, I'm just going to call them that peptides are just really short strings of amino acids. Um, they not only found those, but they actually did find impurities. They found other shit floating around um, in their assessment. So I think that's why they're, they think they have the right to clump everything together. That's, that's just a guess, but uh, it's not just that they found these, um, you know, the, the truncated RNA species, they found other crap. Um, and I just want to point something out at the bottom there. It's the third point. Uh, they, they say, based on the above, the following uncertainties are considered to be of utmost or of importance for the benefit risk assessment. And the last point is um, the level of any individual aberrant mRNA species would in any way be magnitudes lower than the level of the intact mRNA. And this would be mirrored by the level of protein expression. The amount of protein 
would be expected to be too low to elicit an, an immune response. The spike protein is highly immunogenic protein and immunodominance would also ascertain that the immune response to the aberrant protein would be non-significant. And in my slide, which I am going to post on a substack uh, when we post this episode, clearly says, <laughs> words from my brain screaming out, how do they know? Like, well, what, you know what if... What if the immunogenic peptides are amyloidogenic, for example? They have no idea because they didn't check. They make these wild, broad claims, and, and, and it's not backed up with, with what they found, which would ever convince me that what they're saying is true. If you show me, you know, the... the um, Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Okay, no, no, no. Um, I, I wanted to I have some thoughts here. I wanted to bounce them off you and see how well I'm understanding, you know, this topic that you've you've gone down the rabbit hole um, with, but I haven't yet. Um, okay, so in, in a sense, I, I think they're they're telling the truth here, but that but that they're not explaining what the consequences might be. So I, you know, if you were to like, statistically, okay, if you were to break this this uh, you know three thousand nucleotide strand up. Uh, randomly in different places for different reasons as it goes through the body. And then, and then some of them do wind up processing, um, you know, amino acid sequences. Um, okay. You know, I, I can see that, that I, I do believe that any one of those nucleotide strands is going to be present in quantities that are orders of magnitude lower than the big one. Okay. I, I totally buy that. It's going to be, you know, one, sure. one broken down, it is sure. so random with so many possibilities that no one of them is going to be like super present. Whereas you've got, you know, 50 to 70% of the, the original mRNA is, is present. So yeah, uh, one of these dominates the others, but um, well, with the, with the amyloids, I mean, maybe it's the original mRNA that's causing them for one, but two, maybe the amyloids are some sort of immune reaction that we've never even under, you know, never even encountered wouldn't have known to study, don't understand, that is the body's way of dealing with all that trash, right? Like if your body starts to produce, you know, suddenly thousands of different amino acid strands that are just like, you know, entirely, that your body is entirely not used to seeing at all. Maybe your body goes, I need to do something all at once. I mean, I, I don't, I have no idea making this up. I'm just throwing it out there, but I, I'm, I'm making it up because I'm pointing out that that stopping at, at the end of that paragraph means stopping before doing the requisite investigation to know if these things are in any way safe or if they're just horrifically destructive. Precisely. And, and the thing is, we, we, we know, we have good ideas of what some of those potential uh, disasters could be. And so we, like I said, it's easy to check. So it, it needs, yeah, there, it, it's, it is very, very incomplete, this investigation. And, and I'd just like to say also that if not for these leaked documents, we, we wouldn't even know that the percent RNA integrity is not what it should be. Uh, it's, it's not even up to what they, you know, said was okay in the clinical trials. It's like, it's good enough for the clinical trial that, <laughs> you know, 70% is, is what we found there, but 55 for you in reality is, is okay. <laughs> you know, half, half, it's, it's half okay. Um, anyway, it's, it's crazy to me. So in, in this, um, there, there's another uh, slide that I wanted to show. Um, 
hey, maybe I have an idea. Um, I'm going to send you a link. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm sending you a link to an article written by the by CHD, and they have a lot of uh, the visuals that I'm talking about here. So this one's going to be from page. Well, you can take your pick. Um, this one's going to be, I'm not even sure this one's here. Anyway, there's a number of, of slides, shots, uh, screenshots that you can choose that will show you definitively that the percent RNA integrity for the VAX lots that they actually tested for Pfizer were about the, at the lowest 55 and at the highest 62. And these all these these are all lower than the commercial batches or the um, the experimental batches that they uh, they tested. So the question becomes, why why and how did did this all go through? And the answer is that they lowered the acceptance criteria. This is a fact. Um, if you go down, uh, I guess about halfway through the article, you can come to a slide um, that says a batch analysis drug product. And there's a comparison between the batch analysis for the Pfizer product drug lots and the batch analysis for the emergency supply, which is the EU uh, uh, eventual uh, Pfizer drug product lots. And you'll see that the acceptance criteria for the former was greater than or equal to 60%. So anything, any percent RNA integrity had to have been at least 60%. And then they did this work and they found that the, the VAX lots that were actually being put into people only had 55% integrity. So the way they weaseled their way out of this is by lowering the acceptance criteria. Right. Yeah, and I talked to um, uh, Maria Gucci uh, maybe three, four weeks ago. Um, uh, she was on with Liam and I, and she, she's, uh, she's, uh, do you know Maria? No. She, she's Canadian. Uh, she, she's really smart. She is who you would want, you know, in, in like a, a top, you know, council of, of drug regulators, like, you know, taking a look at all this stuff. One of the things that that you know, I, I think I asked her this, and she was and she was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is this is a big issue." Uh, we were going through these documents, and you have all these tolerance levels, right? Like criteria must be at least fifty percent this, must be at least this this amount of that. And I'm like, "So wait, let, let's talk about these criteria, right?" Because there were so many of them. I was imagining mm -hmm. a, a process, a production process, you know, like a, a car factory, you know, they throw out spark plugs that don't meet certain tolerances, you know, certain uh, widths and, and, and circumferences and whatnot. And, you know, this is, this is why a Lexus is better than, you know, most cars is because um, they, they throw anything out, you know, that deviates from certain tolerances more often. It's part of the reason at least. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you, you go through and you go, okay, why are these tolerances what they are? <clears throat> I was like, you know, in some of these places, I, I can't imagine that they would have studied them to the point of understanding what this really means. And she was like, exactly. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. She just said I was right. Like, what, what are the implications of that? Right. <laughs> so and apparently these these tolerances are negotiated between the drug manufacturers 
and the regulators, but the drug manufacturers have like, they have such an information asymmetry and they have the ability to, um, you know, they probably hire like very high level negotiators, like negotiation theory, auction theory, that, that sort of game theory of mathematics. Most people don't realize like how brutal, you know, uh, of an advantage that can be when you bring in, you know, top level negotiators, how much you're, you know, uh, you know, pushing the advantage in one direction. Um, but, you know, there's so much to that, that it's almost as if you don't have any regulation at all. And then the regulators can just decide what those tolerance levels are. And we don't even know if they're meaningful in any way, shape or form in terms of the safety of the product. Right. And here we exactly. are. Here we are. We've reached this point where we're testing new technologies that we don't know the, the extent to which they they change the body, they, you know, that they may affect, um, that they may elicit epigenetic responses, um, much less, you know, change the genome, right? Um, so yeah, this just seems crazy. This seems totally crazy. It is, face. It's absolutely crazy. And it's, everyone should start talking about this. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just like that. And the thing that boggles my mind, it's like, okay, if, if I was, you know, a greedy uh, pharmaceutical company and I wanted my product out quick and I, I hired some people to, you know, make things look safe so that I could get my product out. And then I started seeing signs that the product really wasn't safe and that maybe it's because the percent RNA integrity of my, my modified mRNA is not high, then I would want to know, <laughs> uh, you know, for, for, for the benefit of my company and my product, uh, exactly what was going on there um, immunologically. So there's a quote uh, in, in one of these presentations on this EMA quality office uh, report that says, however, when present in the cell, there's a possibility that aberrant proteins will be expressed, expressed with possibilities for unwanted immuno immunological events. And it's like, <laughs> right. right, so unwanted immunological events, eh? Like what, you ask? So let's go to that Pfizer document that was uh, court ordered to be released, this 5.3.6 um, document, the, the cumulative analysis of post-authorization adverse event reports. So at the very bottom of this, there's a list of 1,291 adverse events of special interest listed in this document. I mean, okay, are those the unwanted immunological effects that you, you anticipated without really telling anyone? <laughs> or <laughs> could it be, I did a little query into VAERS uh, this morning. Uh, I pulled out immunologically related adverse events in my, in my cluster group, and there's 463,275 reports in VAERS, and that's without including the underreporting factor. So you might actually have to multiply that by 31. So it's like, and, and, and everything that seems to be going wrong, and it is a systemic thing, like every system in the human body seems to be being affected in the people who are being affected. And, and, and the, the node there is the immune system. There's some kind of dysfunction and we really need to find out what's causing that. Because, I mean, 
you know, you can you can argue all you want that these shots aren't causing harm, but they are. It's 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 like <laughs> if you inject someone and they have an anaphylactic shock, they had the shock because of the injection. There's something in there that caused them to go into anaphylactic shock. So it's like it could very well be, it could very well be that the the proteins that are being produced from non-integral RNA are inducing very bad immunological effects. So it's it's not only it's not only possible, I think it's probable. And yeah, so, like, and, and yeah, we're we're getting a you know, we're obviously at a level of discussion that cannot be part of any simple informed consent process. Yeah, this is one of the things that I keep coming to. You know, there, there's so many issues with all of this. I'll, people email That's every day. No do what it meant to do. <laughs> yeah, there are so many issues. Like people, you know, email me every day. Can you take a look at this? Can you take a look at this? Can you take a look at this? Any any one of us can't take a look at ten percent of all the things that need to be looked at, right? And and I'm sure you feel like this, Jessica. You know, uh, you you probably get. Yeah, you know, how many emails a day do you get? You know, can you look at this? Can you look at this? Um, but it, it, there's no way that any one of us can be educated on all of this. So, in other words, there's no one person in the world, you know, who can be informed on all of this. Even, even, even at Pfizer, right? I mean, whatever the the pyramid, the hierarchies are of people who have this information. Let's say you've got one like really amazing scientist. You know, you've got Richard Feynman. You know of the biology world up at the top and he's you know being fed all the information from all the experiments does that person have a really good idea as to what's going on in all of this and doubtful i, I don't know but probably not i mean we there, there are too many question marks right there are too many they're, they're not even just like question marks as in we don't know if that information is known by anyone there are question marks in terms of we don't know what happens when you spin this statistical wheel and you have, you know, mRNA, you know, encoding random, <laughs> random amino acids that that do what in the body? Do I don't know what they do in the body, right? Can they can't know what they do in the body unless unless they've already somehow test? Like, I, I've had friends who who have I've had conversations like, you know, do do you think the Uyghurs have had this stuff tested on them for the last couple of years? Like, wow. It, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you start to ask questions like this when you see. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just it's so big that you have that you you have to unleash the imagination to go. Yeah, you did they know? Yeah. How would they have known? Right? Uh, who who was experimented on before this point? Right? Because I, I, have, I have a hard time Sorry. believing. I have a hard time believing that they didn't at least, you know, have some sense of of what the, you know, unknowns were, like what kind of statistical fiasco there would be. And we even see- at least what the like potentials were going to be. I mean, you can never know what's gonna manifest on the human side of things. You really can't. You can predict all you want, but you can't know. And you definitely can't know person to person what's gonna happen. Um, especially when there's so very much variability, not just in the products, but the administration and the person's immunological state at the time, and et cetera, et cetera. 
So yeah, it's, it's, um, I agree with you. I think there's no doubt that it's not even that they gleaned that there was potential. I think they're fully aware. It's, I, it's just, you know, maybe they're relying on uh, their ability to hide data results, uh, adverse events, occurrences in, in people. I don't know. But um, it's amazing because it, it, this is such a staggering, um, staggeringly obvious problem. And it's amazing that probably no one knows about it. Like very few people know about this. So like the, the article that I wrote on Substack, um, hypothesized, I hypothesized there that there's a connection between um, the uh, manufacturing dates and the injection dates and the severe adverse event counts. So um, there, there's a plot there that you can show this little blue, blue plot. So just to back up, um, the mRNA injectable products are not stable after six months, according to uh, themselves. <laughs> the Moderna product is uh, stable at minus 20, up to six months. Pfizer, minus 80 to minus 60, up to six months. And CureVac, whatever that is, at least three months. So they, you can store them for a certain amount of time, but they have to be used, you know, from a certain time frame away from the manufacturing date. So it's interesting that it seems like the fresher the product, the shorter the distance between the manufacturing date and the injection date, the more severe adverse events there are. So it got me thinking maybe the the degradation like we don't know if the products are the mrna is degrading uh you know during or due to bad storage or if it happened from the very beginning at the production level or both it's probably both so okay can I, can I, yeah go sorry, ahead. sorry if, if i can introduce you here because um you know it, it, i want i want to beat on this idea um, let, let's see. Let's see if I can come up with a way to defeat um, to defeat the hypothesis that uh, manufacture that time for manufacturing is a big factor at play here. So uh, suppose I say, well, look, maybe you are looking at a curve that is actually uh, representing a spike from the proportion of people who are elderly who are being vaccinated at different times, right? So there would be a convolution of two functions and uh, and and it's it's not actually the manufacturing date, one of those two functions that's contributing to the spike, but the uh, demographic function, which is contributing right. to the spike. Um, can we test that? I, I think I may have a way, but I you, you may have thought about this more than I have. So um, let me let me ask you that question. What, what do we do to test this hypothesis? make a model <laughs> on the spot? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just looking, well, maybe we can, but um, I, I was thinking, can you, can you run these curves by cutting off the first, I don't know, like month of, you know, the injectable products? Actually, you know what? It, it's not going to change much because it just, I, I'm looking at this now and I'm seeing, Oh, well, uh, gosh, but we don't know what that, I don't know when they were manufactured. Yeah. You know, okay. So let's take that, that first, 
few weeks. Well, I could compare demographics. I could pull out, I don't, I don't know if that would reveal much, but I could pull out the 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 oldies and the youngies and see yeah. if we see a difference. Yeah. Have you done that before or would that be a new run for you? But now I'm going to. I can't do it immediately because it will take some time because I have to write some uh, some lines of code. But um, but yeah, that's that's a really good idea. I tend to write these things up and then just leave them hanging and, and forget that I ever did it in the first place. So this is really cool. I can revisit and uh, and add. Um, that's cool. I love this. Okay, so I'm going to age stratify to test that theory. Yeah, age stratify and maybe even do runs where you cut off the very first month of the vaccination that. campaign uh, just to see if there is anything there you know that, that changes the shape i will do that you guys are gonna have to stay tuned to see the update <laughs> yeah should, uh, should we like schedule another uh one of these combos on this topic like a month out or you know three four five six weeks out wait when, yeah, when, let's do when do you want me to I, i'll let you tell me when to schedule it just reach out to me and say um you know let, let's do this and, and maybe yeah. maybe we can go through your uh, slideshow then yeah, I'll figure out a way to, to share. That's a great idea. Um, yep, so uh, what was I saying there? So this, this is like one of the first podcasts ever where people get to see uh, in real time uh, statistical biology going on. <laughs> yeah, this is what's supposed to happen. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, I was wondering... Um, I, I'm trying, you know, that that's what we kind of do. We... we we come up with an idea and we try and test it. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Um, so I don't know if the, like how this degradation occurs. Like I said, if, if it's um, from, from production or if, if it happens over time from the point of production, I think it's both. And, um, and so I don't know if it's worse to have full length spike protein or to have these little bits? Um, this is a really interesting question um, mm, because yeah. the paper that came out that showed um, the nuclear translocation of the full length spike, if, if there was full length spike uh, uh, translocated to the nucleus, then double-stranded DNA repair enzymes couldn't get in to do their jobs, which basically means, uh, I mean, disaster, cancer, cancer, cancer. I mean, if you can't repair DNA, you, 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 you don't have a life form that can function properly at all. So that paper indicates that full-length spike is really bad. Um, but on the other hand, like these people point out, if you have, um, you, you, you can have both. You can have uh, a, a variety of, uh, percentage RNA integrities, I imagine, in your soup. So you're getting uh, mostly your full length spike, which is doing whatever damage it's doing. And then you're having these little bits, which, like I said, could have amyloidogenic properties or molecular mimicry proper properties, inducing autoimmune conditions. So there's all sorts of stuff that's published that that is is not only, like I said, possible, but but um, but probable here. So if we could come up with ways to um, 
besides just looking at, you know, relationships between severe adverse events and bears and, and dates, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of just leaves rustling in the wind. <laughs> um, if we could come up with a, 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 a really um, good way to test this, uh, this idea that it's say, for example, you have uh, a high integrity or high percentage integrity full length spike, you know, doing more damage than if you have say 55%, which seems to be what most people are getting, da, 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 da. So. Well, the, you know, the weird thing with like, this graph, you know, if you get uh, injected with a product that, you know, came out within the last, you know, 25, 30 days, looks like that's pretty safe, you know, relatively speaking. Um, I don't want to call anything safe that hasn't been studied for a long, long time. I, on the other hand, if you get something that uh, was manufactured more than five months out, it begins to look safe again. It's this in yeah. between. It's in between one and five months. You know, in, in, in particular, you know, one in two months, you have this, you know, one in two and a half months, you have this giant spike. So it, it appears that it's most dangerous when you have a mixture of full-length mRNA and fragments. Right. When you have both yeah. of those things, it appears to be a more volatile combination. And there may be a question as to what happens when you mix the reactions of two different immune systems. You know, is there some form of self-sabotage that occurs, um, you know, that, that you know, we, we wouldn't even know how to describe or, or you know, and wouldn't, would never have encountered before in human biology? Exactly. I mean, it, exactly. We have no idea. Um, and by the way, we, we haven't mentioned, and it's, it's probably intentional, we haven't even mentioned lipid nanoparticles because, I mean, th their involvement here could be uh, really important as well. You know? Right, right. And so it's, it's, this is primarily about, you know, the spike shit because it's percent it's the RNA integrity that we're, we're talking about here. But I mean, yeah, when you're talking about adverse events, we don't even really know uh, the percentage that might be being uh, caused by the effects of the spike protein and in its, and its uh, subunits and yeah, how and much might be by the LNPs. Yeah, and, and the two the two have an effect together. One of the things that I learned from uh, you know Maria Gucci, um, I, I I'd seen this a little bit, but I hadn't really thought it through in order to be able to process it. But um, you know, when you have the the mRNA inside the lipid, you know, uh, uh, lipid covering, um, it, it's like you have a little spaceship, and the mRNA are the you know little alien dudes inside, right? So, <laughs> um, I, and just to have an analogy, um, the these spaceships come in different sizes. And the size of the spaceship is extraordinarily important in terms of yes, what, ha what happens to it in the body. If it's a certain length that might be absorbed through your through your uh, you know circulatory system beginning into the organs without going through the heart, or if it's if it's different sizes, maybe it will go through the heart and and you know have different effects. And if the mRNA is changing in terms of like total fidelity over time, then the total sizes of these little you know lipid nanoparticle spaceships are changing also. And so, you know, what this curve may represent is a change in where this goes in the body. Um, and, and I, yeah, could I'm throwing, throwing it out there, uh, but the, the size of those, it does change and it does matter.
Absolutely. We've got some questions. Let's see who's who's watching us on Rumble here. Um, uh, we've got this length, poly, no amnesty. Uh, okay, that, that's about amnesty. I'm, I'm going to dodge that for this conversation. Um, may that be there were not that many injections in those first 30 days? Okay, that, that's a good question. Um, but you, uh, your chart does take this into account. Excuse me. Take this into account, right? Oops. I'm, I'm dropping that in the wrong window. Uh, do you understand? Uh, sorry, I, I'm kind of, you know, reading the question out here. Um, do you understand the question? I think so. Yeah. I don't have a lot of data for, for the, like the injections, like pertaining to the injections given with fresh products for less than a month. So, okay. You're, you only know yeah. the total number of report. Right, right. This is bare. So you only know the a total number of reported AEs, not reported AEs per injection. And that is important yeah. also, right? Like, like maybe this spike is just way more injections occurred with product that was one to three months old. Yep. And so that that's another place where you have a convolution of several functions and it may be this other one. So, you know, great question to ask. Thank you. Indeed. Yeah, lots of people were, were asking that question. Good. Um, good. We have scientists on our team. Yay! Well, so um, maybe this is a, a point to transition. Is there more that you want to say on this topic? Or, or do you want to do, uh, do, oh, you want to do a modeling exercise? <laughs> Let, let's do a, let's do an exercise because that'll be fun for us and everyone else. Uh, okay. you, you'll see it here live organically. But yeah, I, I want to talk about so many other things. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's probably just gonna confuse the subject matter. It, it's 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 relevant, but it's not really about the mm -hmm. RNA integrity. So anyway, people. Um, you, you need to check out the European Medicines Agency uh, assessment report of Comirnaty. It's, it's online and it's long and tedious, but just read that because that's where all this information is coming from. It's, it's just there in black and white. The stuff that people are getting injected with have probably maybe half percent RNA integrity, which means that they're, they're not getting full length spike protein uh, as, a, as a protein product being produced by host cells. And we don't know the effect of that. And it's possible that it's innocuous, but it's also possible that it's highly damaging. It, it's going to depend, it's going to, wow, it's going to depend on a lot of things. So um, more inquiries need to be done. It's, it's, it's a subject matter that, that everyone needs to be talking about, I think, because um, this, you know, lot to lot variability, uh, who, who gets adverse events and who doesn't, who, who suffers severe adverse events, uh, against regular. I mean, there, there are a lot of really important questions we need to answer that may come from investigating this particular thing. So. Yeah. Funny. Uh, somebody just asked the question, um, they stopped refrigerating them, right? Referring to to the injections and like this this is a terrifying question i mean like obviously we have to ask this question <clears throat> it, it's a terrifying question to ask because 
at the beginning of the vaccination campaign, presumably, they believe that refrigeration is important to the integrity of the product. Vital. And that this Vital. Matters, right? Mm -hmm. And, okay, so at some point, they, they stopped having the same refrigeration protocol. Right? They, they changed refrigeration protocol in the middle of the vaccination campaign. Well, okay, mm -hmm. they have data that told them it was okay to change the refrigeration process. Okay, if they had data telling us that it was okay to change that process, that means that they did not have control over the protocol, that the protocol was not being followed by enough places that we had data for comparison, right? That's how insane all of this is, is, is that their experiment, accidental experiments within experiments, <laughs> I, 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 like that, that just, that's so irresponsible. It's like, I don't know, you walk into a kitchen and and somebody's like, somebody pulls up a syringe. I'm going to inject you with this. I mean, it, it really sounds like we're still in the kitchen. And, you know. Yeah, well, in, in many cases, I think that's true. Um, th there's another thing that I think about. I mean, it's um, it's post-production de production degradation issues that relate to temperature. So uh, imagine your administrators, like there's there, there are either five or six uh, doses in either Comirnaty or Pfizer products, respectively. Uh, I might have inverted those, but you have a certain number of doses per vial after you, you dilute it with saline, and you, you, have, to, you have to do this correctly. You, you, you dilute it with your saline, you invert this, this tiny bottle, like, you know, I used to do it 10 times. You never shake it. You just you've, you have to be very gentle because you know the, the product inside the you know the lipid nanoparticles with the modified mRNA it, it's it's gentle you don't you don't want to be like really vigorous um, yeah I and so the transportation process like you know are are these well, exactly. in trucks on the highway like you know we, we don't have a super spring system underneath to keep these things from shaking around like. And the Pfizer product, they say minus 60 to 80. Minus 70 freezers are really expensive. Like, and you have to be a specialized lab usually to have one of these. I mean, I I I'm I was using them all the time, but I was in a biochem lab. So it's like Yeah, are my, you my wife uses one, but it's not like they have them all over the place. Like, you know, there's no. there's one in her lab. Exactly. <laughs> They're, they're, they're like, are you telling me that everybody had access to these and that all of these products were refrigerated at minus 70 as they were meant to be? And are you telling me that after, you know, say you, you have, let's go with the six number doses in a vial um, and you've done everything right. And let's, let's just say that, it, you know, the RNA integrity is okay and the product is fine. And you've, you've, uh, it's homogeneously suspended. Um, no, let's not assume that. That's kind of my point. You take out one dose with your syringe, you inject it into your person, and then you have to put that back in the freezer, right? So you're going to do that with six different people. So you're going to freeze and unfreeze six different times. And this is very bad for, for quality. And if you don't properly, if you don't do all the right stuff, Hey, Jessica, you're frozen. Are you with us? Okay. Well, uh, while Jessica's frozen, it may be that she um, that she blows up and has to log back in. 
Uh, ho hopefully she doesn't actually blow up. Oh, no, no, there she is. You didn't blow up, did you? Uh, no, I'm I'm here. I don't know what happened because I okay. didn't even see a glitch in the matrix of my computer. So we'll have high Jessica oh, integrity. Yes, here I am. I'm 100% now. Um, so the thing is, like, it's possible among those six doses that the person who got the first one got much more product than number six will ever get. It's possible that the sixth person doesn't even get anything. If, if, if all of these things aren't properly and carefully done, and I got to tell you, Matthew, <laughs> I don't think people give a shit about doing things right because... One more thing I wanted to throw in is that um, if you look in VAERS at the number of reports of uh, expired product or inappropriate administration um, or improper, just all of these like like in terms of um, administration, I think I'm, I'm losing my point. But anyway, there's over 100,000 reports in VAERS. Um, right, right. Yeah. Improper administration reports. Um, you know, what you just said about like, uh, you know, is there a difference between dose one, two, three, four, five, six from a vial? It occurs to me, this should have been part of trials. Right. And, but, you know, but, but it would never be reflected in, on, on, in reality, because it's always going to depend on that person holding the vial. And if that person doesn't give a shit because they've got 10,000 people to inject that day and they're like, you know, shaking the vial and, and maybe they're not even using proper sterile technique, dude. I don't want to freak everyone out, but I mean, that's a real possibility. Yeah, we don't aspiration, know. no aspiration. And just, you know, like talking right. with Brooke Jackson, um, whom uh, I, I get to talk with Brooke for like uh, an hour at, at the very end of the CHD conference and, and listening to her talk about what was going on at Ventavia just sounded like, like the whole thing was just a big sloppy mess. Like, like, you know, when you talk about like people who just don't care, I mean, you know, it, it's the healthcare industry. There are lots of people there who care, right. You know, any, anybody who's, who's met a few nurses in their life knows there's a pretty big spread of personalities and there are plenty of people who care. There are plenty of uh, scientists who care, who want to do things right. There are plenty of people everywhere who care. Um, but there are, you know, then there are, there are clearly operations that are put together uh, in a you know slipshod way, and you wind up with just a general sense of I don't care when, when such an operation is put together. And you know, listening to to Brooke talk, it it felt like Ventavia was one of those places. You know, it's just like it's this outlet. It, it's almost meant to be sort of like hidden away and not really you know looked at all that much. Um, so yeah. Well, let, let's do. Um, I, I don't have a, a, a great deal of time um, because of uh, an interview that I have, or well, you know, a different type of interview that I have uh, in about half an hour. But um, why don't we transition here, and may, maybe in ten or fifteen minutes, we can do a modeling exercise, and then we can actually proceed with the modeling. And you know, this is about the hot lots hypothesis. And Jessica and I um, have probably each received dozens of emails about, you know, the hot lot stuff uh, over the past year or whatever. Um, uh, probably way more than that. <laughs> I, I think I probably have hundreds in my inbox. I bet you do too. Um, yeah. 
but Jessica, Jessica and I had similar thoughts when this when this question came out, when this controversy came out. You know, are some of the vials, you know, different? Are some of them much more dangerous than others? And is this a controlled experiment? Of course, you know, you can go down conspiracy paths right away, right? Um, but there's no need. Like, start. You know, I, I don't mind conspiracy theory because it's part of big picture thinking. But you know, you want to you want to go after the simple questions first. And uh, Jessica and I were of similar mind independently. Um, on this, which is, wait a minute, uh, I don't like I, I see data here, but I can imagine that this data is perfectly innocuous. And this mm -hmm. is it's a hard thing for statisticians to talk to others about this who don't know why it is you might have this, you know, these these stochastic random ranges. Right. And so, you know, um, and, and this is why we're of a different mind than, you know, uh, a lot of the people talking about the hot lots problem. So um, and I hope that we're right about this. Right. I want to keep an open mind. Maybe there yeah, are hot lots. Right. Um, so but let, let's talk about how we might model the problem and see why it might be realistic that you have, you know, 10,000 to one. You know, you might have, you know, three, four five orders of magnitude difference between one batch and another in terms of the severe adverse events events reported. So let's talk about the modeling variables. You know, um, demographics. I'll go ahead and write that down. That's that's like the first obvious big in your face variable. If one lot is given to mostly you know nursing home patients, and another one is given out is given at the school to you know 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kids, you're obviously going to see a very you know large difference in the severe adverse events. And, you know, you're, you're the VAERS specialist. You're in touch with that data. Do you know about, like, how, how many orders of magnitude might we be talking about? Well, if, if we hone in on death, um, the, the rate of, or, or the association with, um, between old people and death, of course, it's, uh, it's, it's much bigger than um, with young people. Um, and this is not necessarily due to anything uh, in, in the product. That's just having to do with the age. So, um, yeah. Okay. And another one, and I have an article about this. Um, I, I don't even know when I wrote it, maybe February or something, um, you know, about the hot lots hypothesis. One of the other variables that, that I imagined was uh, point, uh, you know, a reporting bias which may be associated with, uh, you know, point of delivery, point of administration. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if this is, I, I, I doubt it's as big as the demographic bias or the demographic bias might also be embedded in it. But uh, it, this is a, it's a very big one. You know, if you're giving um, these shots out at Walgreens, what are the odds that when you do have a severe adverse reaction, it's reported to VAERS versus when you're given that dose at a hospital, right? We don't know if it's a three to one ratio, 12 to one ratio, 80 to one ratio. So uh, what other variables are we looking at? Um, I'm just trying to think about how batch size could fit in. Um, I'm not sure it belongs here. Um, oh, time to man time since manufacture. 
Yeah, that's that's a good one. <laughs> that, that's the topic for today, right? So. And um, time post, uh, like, administration of expired products. Yeah, you know, I'm going to throw that one into administrator. Because that may All be right. like, you know, an administrator, like, uh, some, some variables, like whether you aspirate, whether or not you're willing to, uh, you know, uh, use more than five doses from a vial. You know, uh, whether or not you um, you measure out the doses correctly, all that kind of stuff, yeah. um, just to keep things as simple as possible. Uh, let's throw all that under administrator and we'll talk about like how to model this variable in, in a moment. Um, you know, do we have all the variables? Are we making an ODE model? Um, I, I was thinking, no, I was thinking uh, something like, you know, let, let's imagine um, a distribution for each one of these. Okay. And then just sort of, um, you know, uh, having uh, a, a spread of distributions. Well, you know, like churn them through each variable. At each, uh, like, what am I saying? Run a simulation that churns each individual through these uh, according to, you know, probabilities. And, and, you know, we can throw in like, you know, random... Um, um, Standard, you know, we can have a standard deviation on on a, uh, something like a, a normal distribution within some of these variables, and you know, okay. see how the simulation pops out. But like, the, I, I guess, um, you know, an, a differential equations model. We don't have a feedback loop, right? Um, so it, it feels like that's. Um, I, I steer away from differential equation models when I don't have a feedback loop. Okay. But, but that, you know, uh, it, you can do, and, and if you have a different idea on the model, um, you know, absolutely, you know, feel free. What would you do with a, with an ODE model? I'm not sure. I, I didn't even think about it until now. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I might actually try. Um, I, I started doing that like two years ago, but um, not, not in this particular context. So I might actually try um might be interesting um i don't know i think that looks good well let, let's see if uh the audience has any other uh variables um, what do you think guys uh frenzies in, in rumble is talking about margierto's um lipid nanoparticle uh but uh that uh, that's not really part of the current conversation. Um, good to talk about though. Uh, let's see. In the, in the YouTube chat. Okay. So nobody else is offering variables up. Um, I do, I, I do have an article and maybe I mentioned a variable or two in there that we haven't discussed here, but we can come back to that. I can send you an email later. Um, if any of my variables aren't touched here. Okay. So, uh, you know, we have four different variables. How might we build a model? I'm, you know, you said you might build an ODE model. Um, you know, I, could we do something like, yeah, how independent are these variables? Like, that's a question that we might ask. Uh, how independent are these variables? And 
can we handle the level of dependence without going to something high tech? Like, you know, can we just work this out in a spreadsheet? Like, you know, six lines and boom, have an answer. I'm not Maybe. sure. At least a rough answer, right? You know, there is no, you're never going to get any kind of one answer. You're never going to get a model that, that you feel like this represents reality. Um, no. But, and stay okay. away from people who think you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> stay away from people what's who say guy? they can do that. Yeah. What, what's that guy's name that's responsible for all the lockdowns? I can never remember. Neil Ferguson. Name. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like, um, you know, at some point in his life, somebody was deciding what to do with him. They're like, uh, insane asylum or head of a modeling research institution. That one. <laughs> they, they flipped the coin and we got where we are now. Um, <laughs> okay, demographics. Um, okay. Yeah, demographics, uh, you know, it, it, here's why demographics matter a lot. Is because you know you have a lot, it, and we don't even know how many how many lots there are in a batch. We don't even know how many you know doses there are in a lot or in a batch, right? And that's a big problem well, with all this. That I, I have some I have some data. Um, if if we like, I have some Pfizer data, and I've actually calculated um, according to these these numbers that I have what the like the batch sizes would actually be. Um, because I'll, I'll just give you an example now. I'm reading from my, um, my R thing. Um, so let's see, where are we? Where are those numbers? I have too many things open. Okay, let's go back here. Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna, while you're doing that, I'm gonna kind of go one variable at a time and just kind of draw some thoughts here. Now, here we go. So um, for a particular like Pfizer lot, um, you'll have the number of doses that were shipped and then the number of um, a, wait, I'm getting confused again. Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm just talking out loud. I'm trying to find this file. Oh, here we go. So you have a vax lot. You have the number of doses shipped. This is the data that I have for, I think, uh, 157 maybe um, vax lots. The number of shipments um, uh, by lot by dose. And so you can calculate the number of doses uh, per vax lot that, that you're, you're technically uh, able to give. Um, and it does vary a lot um, between vax lots. What's the largest so, number divided by the smallest number? For what, a particular vax lot? Yeah, doses per vax lot. What's like the, the range, you know, is it half an order of magnitude? 
Um, just a second. The lowest is 1170 because there's only one shipment of 1170 doses versus just a second. There's 122,000 in, wait, that's the same one. Um, Whoa, that's two orders of magnitude right there. There is a lot, there's a big difference. Oh, here's a 272,000. So there's a big, big difference, but, but I'm not sure. Yeah, this is based on the number of shipments of specific um, vac slots. Anyway, so yeah, that's uh, here's one that's uh, eight hundred and forty-one thousand. So there's a lot of variation. If I'm reading this properly. Yeah, and hopefully the audience will understand this already. Um, you know. It, if you have lots that have like, you know, 10,000 more severe adverse events or deaths than other lots, um, 10,000 means four orders of magnitude. That's 10 times 10 times 10 times 10. And, you know, if you're asking why, is it because, you know, there's something more deadly about these lots? You know, is there somebody who's, you know, futzing with the manufacturing process? Is Dr. Evil in there, you know, going, I'm going to put cyanide in this one? Uh, you know, so what, you know, whatever that question might be. So, you know, oh, you know, four orders of magnitude, that's just so huge. It, it is huge in, in some contexts, right? There are a lot of times when you see, you know, 10,000 to one ratios and you go, wow, that's, that's crazy. If you see, you know, um, the Lakers playing middle school teams and, you know, the ratio of wins to losses is 10,000 to one, you know, well, there's something, there's something going on here in the difference between the quality of the teams. Um so, but you know, in this case, we already spot up to 2.4 orders of magnitude in the range of variation of the batch sizes, right? And, you know, could we see two to three orders of magnitude in the demographics, two to three orders of magnitude in, in the reporting bias? Um, I, I think already, I think already just, just discussing the question like this, um, I think we've already answered the question. And this is the reason why I think Jessica and I were just like, you know, I, I don't see enough data to want to like make this a project, you know, a year ago when, when people started talking about this. Um, but the, these orders of magnitude, you know, we could just straight add up down the list and, you know, come up with an answer. Um, mm -hmm. but, you know, we, we can go further. We can build a model and maybe we will go that far. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, we could be wrong. Um, but, you know, let, let's talk about the demographic question, because, you know, this is one that that I think people will understand intuitively as we discuss it. And maybe lot A is one this is fun. that's given out like, you know, December 26th, um, December 26th, you're going to have a very high proportion of the most elderly people who are going to be most at risk uh, of having a severe adverse reaction from a product like and this. And fresh, fresh product too, if that matters. And then lot B, you might only have, you know, 15% of the people getting a dose being those elderly who are at the highest risk level. And then, you know, maybe there's like a, a, a gray zone area, you know, people who are of moderate risk 
And then here, maybe you have 30% being people of moderate risk. And then, then maybe you have a proportion of people who are you know, sort of your lowest risk group for getting severe adverse events. And, you know, people might look at this and go, well, you know, how do I determine what is the ratio then from one lot to another? And, you know, there, there are distributions within all this, but maybe your distribution of adverse events looks like this. You know, uh, I'll draw a quick little graph right here. Um, you know, on the left, on the left in this graph is low risk and high risk. And maybe, maybe we score this from like zero to a hundred, like percentiles. So just, you know, having the idea here, you know, your low risk people, their relative impact might be very low. And then, then you have your, your gray zone where there's, there's some risk of severe adverse events. And then you get to the high risk, and maybe we're only talking about like 10% of people are in that high risk group, but then it just goes mm -hmm. zoom, right? Those people, just like with COVID itself, those people may have 1,000 times the risk of the yeah. low risk group. So, you know, and, and this this is going to be very basic, but, um, you know, we uh, Jessica and I can discuss for just, well, actually, I'm going to have to run because I have a, a scheduled phone call in 14 minutes. But we, 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 let's, <laughs> let's try to squeeze a few minutes out of this um, so that we, you know, at least the audience gets an idea as to, you know, where this might go. Let's say that we have 5% here, and I'll call them a risk score of one. Like maybe, maybe they have one severe adverse event every 10,000 doses. I'm just making numbers up but I'm, I'm just going to call it one so that we have like a parameter to compare things with. Then maybe we have 25% of people and they have, they have our, you know, our risk score of five. And then maybe we have 70% from that early lot who have 500. Um, and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bump this one up just a little bit here just to have a slightly smoother, but it, but it is pretty exponential. Uh, then over here with lot B, maybe only 15% are your high risk elderly group, then 35%, maybe your middle risk group and 50% of your low risk group. Now let's multiply the numbers on the left and the right for each of these two groups. 70% of 500 is 350, 25% of 10 is 2.5. And 5% of, of 1 is 0 0.05. We add those numbers up. We get like a, a total risk score for that lot. And that is 352.55. And understand that this is all under the assumption that these lots are otherwise identical. Exactly. And so 15% of 500. That's 75. This is so cool. 10 is 3.5. 50% of one is 0.5. We add those up, we get 79. So uh, let's see, what's the ratio of that? Let's see, 352 to 79. That's about four and a half. That's almost exactly four and a half. That is. Um, that was math. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, almost two thirds of an order of magnitude right there. And and this could get larger, right? Like if lot B is given out at a school, you know, maybe only, you know, 2% of that lot goes to people who are in the higher risk, maybe 0%, you know, 
Uh, and so you might get, you know, two orders of magnitude, but this is a, like, you know, I, I didn't even pick extreme cases here. This doesn't cover the range. This is just two very plausible possibilities based on, you know, based on date. Like the first one I said, maybe it's December 26th. Maybe the second one was like, you know, uh, May of 2021. Right. So, yeah, that gives people an idea. I, I personally believe that that total range will look like more than two orders of magnitude. Right. Mm -hmm. In variation. And it, this is going to look very stochastic. You know, these different variables are going to mix together. Um, and, and, you know, it, it may not be entirely, you know, we, we can uh, talk about, um, you know, what percentage uh, of, I don't know, we, we, we can draw up a model. Maybe, maybe we'll have like a process model and, and maybe we, we do need differential equations, but, you know, we, we may not, we may just have a process model where we uh, you know, take a, get a basic sense of, of how much you know, one variable relates to another. I mean, already, like, you know, in the demographics, I'm, I'm mixing some pieces there because some of that may also relate to reporting bias. No, no, yep. I mean, that we're not even considering reporting. But no, no, no I, I did this independent, independent no, of, to, of, of time of manufacture, all those things. But anyhow, you know, if, if I were to write down, let's say, you know, two to three orders of magnitude, um, that's perfectly possible. Uh, so again, you know, we're mostly just going to add these. And I think, I think when we add these, we're going to get a plausible, you know, six, seven, eight orders of magnitude. Meaning, you know, you could have one lot that has a million or even 10 million or a hundred million times the risk than another lot. And, um, but Mike Eden, actually, uh, you know, if you go back to my article, and again, I didn't bring it up, I didn't drop it, maybe I'll drop it uh, later in the notes uh, to these videos. But uh, Mike Eden had a video where he showed for past vaccines, I think he was looking at flu vaccines. And it wasn't as so like, you didn't have as many peaks, you know, in, in those, and it is possible that the peaks that you do have from those flu vaccines do represent some sort of a manufacturing flaw that happened. And it actually right. kind of makes sense that it would happen like just twice, I mean, just with two lots over this exactly. entire flu campaign, you know, that it, I don't even know how long, you know, that this was looking at, maybe it was, it was one year or something like that. That makes more sense to me. And that may be true within, within these, that makes more sense to me than looking at the stochastic data that we've seen and saying, um, hey, you know, this represents, you know, something, you know, terrible and nefarious. I feel like, I feel like what this is, is wasted attention and energy. Yeah. And I also feel like, and, and, and this is, you know, and, and maybe this is an issue to address right now. Actually, I just put out um, one of my longer articles uh, about the, the died suddenly documentary. I don't know if you've read that article or not. Um, it, it, it's a little controversial. There's a lot of, uh, uh, I'm getting, I think some, I did. I'm seeing some funny emails. Uh, I put it out on Friday. Um, but I said, you know, I'm starting to walk through, it's going to be like a four part series because there's so much to say, you know, um, 
but you know, people, people are like arguing against me saying, you know, we don't need to be perfectly honest. Like we, we need to raise alarm bells. That's the most important thing. Oh yes. I remember I did read it and I remember that. Yep. I feel like the sense that I get is there are people who want to hold on to the hot lots theory for that reason, not because they understand how to break this down in a model and see how, you know, what these peaks should look like. And again, that's not to dismiss the hot lots theory as impossible. It's just to say that we don't have any data that to, um, you know, a good modeler 100%. says uh, 100%. a problem or anything like that. So you that's know, I, what I believe. But the other thing about it that's annoying is that in, in my eyes, it also detracts the, from the fact that all of it's bad, in my opinion. I mean, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to attribute, um, say, the worst adverse event you can think of, like death, to a particular lot. It, it In my opinion, it could happen. I mean, it doesn't have to be because of that. And if you're saying it's because of that, then you're forgetting about all the other stuff, which could be the reality. So it's the detraction from, from the investigation of the other perhaps more realistic possibilities that bothers me. Um, I'm not saying it's not all really interesting and I'm actually not saying there isn't lot to lot variation um, because I think there probably is, but but not because, not necessarily because somebody made certain batches that were more deadly. I'm not saying they didn't do that, but it doesn't have to be assumed that that is why we're seeing the lot to lot variability. So anyway, I think that's, that's all the time you have. I don't want to hold you up for your interview. And this was fantastic. I hope I was clear uh, in the beginning because I really am in research mode. And when I'm in this mode, I don't convey information properly. I'm right, right. You know, and we're, we're kind of doing this real time. And um, I, I think Jessica and I are, are better than, than, than the average bear in terms of, you know, turning, turning all this into words that are understandable and digestible, but it does take a lot. Right. If you want to teach something well, it's digesting in your head for months before you put it into words. But I think we did an okay job. I, I, I think some, uh, some yeah. education was done here, but um, you know, I, I just want to make this one final statement is my personal strong opinion is that if what we want is to, is to sort of win the battle of hearts and minds over all this. I personally think clear the rubbish away, right? We only have to focus on three or four things. I mean, first and foremost, we can focus on the moral issue because it should never be the case that people should feel required, pressured, coerced, uh, anything into participating in somebody else's medical experiments. That is, uh, you know, that's a hard line already, right? Um, imagine, you know, imagine someone trying to do that to you, being willing to, it, ultimately, ultimately, we're talking about the willingness to use violence to achieve that end, right? We're talking about uh, essentially a slave society. Already, that's a hard line. But if we want to start talking about effects, we want to start talking about effects, Um we don't know how many people have been killed by the vaccines. We don't know a lot, the answers to a lot of questions because there's too much data obfuscation. But there are two or three major questions 
you know, or in pieces of data, you know, why is it that in nations that have had more vaccines, more people have died of COVID? You know, we can see since vaccine rollout, the more vaccine doses per population unit, the more COVID deaths per population unit, right? And, and that doesn't necessarily mean we've identified the right variable, but it's, it's right. such a giant question mark that anyone not trying to answer the question is more than is, is yeah, exactly. they are willfully <laughs> malicious, yes. irresponsible. I right? agree. Um, yeah, that, that, that's total negligence to the point of, of, you know, willful, you know, homicide, you know, what, what's the right word, right? Um, we, we don't have to go much farther, you know, two or three more issues, you know, just you looking at the safety signals and VAERS and me saying, you know, they're doing no real pharmacovigilance analysis, you know, maybe there are a couple more pieces of that, but you could have the bullet points on one slide on a PowerPoint presentation. 100%. That, 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 that should be enough for anyone. And to, to then litter the page with a hundred smaller bullet points, right? Um, with, you know, it, it, it's, it's not necessarily productive. We should keep it simple. We should keep it as straightforward as possible. And I think that, uh, that, that, you know, that would win. That, that's the winning argument. Um, you know, same thing with died suddenly, you know, you take a third of that documentary, um, you know, fix it up with actually true information, <laughs> you know, take out the shock stuff that can be debunked. Focus, um, focus on the, the, the junk coming out of the bodies and, and, and run with that and reference it and find more embalmers. And exactly. Uh, yeah. It's almost yeah. a shame that they didn't do that because I think it would have been like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, a good, uh, the right documentary can be made and, and maybe maybe we'll be able to push somebody into it. But uh, I'm going to have to run everybody. Thanks uh, to everybody. Um, we, we had a whole. We had I a just want to do a shout out. Shout ahead. out to Senator, Senator uh, Gerard Rennick. If you don't know who this guy is, he's a senator in Australia and he is kicking it. Gerard Rennick, R-E-N-N-I-C-K. Man, that guy, when you hear him talk, you're like, I want that guy in every single room full of these bureaucrats making the decision, saying what he's saying now. He is fantastic. Like, go, Senator. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jessica, thank you for joining us today. And thank everybody for, uh, thanks everybody for uh, watching. Uh, as a huge audience today. And, and we always appreciate you and your comments. Uh, and we'll do this again sometime. We'll continue the conversation. Yeah, we'll have round two. Round, rounding the earth two. Rounding two of rounding the... <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it again. Round two coming soon. <laughs>